Politics with Amy Walter from The Takeaway. Well, it's been a long, almost two years, but the special counsel investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election, possible coordination between the Trump campaign and Russia, and the obstruction of justice has reached its final culmination. The report was released on Thursday. The end. Or is it just the beginning? Well, like a lot of things, it's both. I know, that's probably not what you wanted to hear, but it's true. Special counsel Robert Mueller may be finished with his work, but there are plenty of other people who are just getting started, and still more who are doubling down. So today, we begin the begin. Come on, you remember this song? I remember listening to it on my Sony Walkman. It says a lot about this situation. From the Department of Justice, where Attorney General William Barr has promised... I am going to be reviewing both the genesis and the conduct of intelligence activities directed at the the Trump campaign during 2016. To the halls of Congress, where several committees are ramping up their own investigative efforts. We are the lawmaking branch of government, and we are the ones who will decide whether there were high crimes and misdemeanors committed by this president. The Mueller report outlines disturbing evidence that President Trump engaged in obstruction of justice and other misconduct. The glossary to this report reads like the Russian phone book. To President Trump, who is also marking an end and a beginning. On Thursday, he tweeted a Game of Thrones-inspired image that read, No collusion, no obstruction. For the haters and the radical left Democrats, game over. All caps. And they're having a good day. I'm having a good day, too. It was called, No collusion, no obstruction. He's also called for an investigation of the investigators. Katie Benner covers the Justice Department for The New York Times. I asked her if she thought Robert Mueller set any precedence with this report. Well, I think the most interesting thing that he did is he chose not to follow the rules of the special counsel's office. And also Bill Barr chose not to follow the strict rules of the special counsel's office. So if again, if we step back in time and we go back to Bill Clinton, which is the last time we had an independent counsel, um, the Ken Starr, the independent counsel, created a report that was devastating in its length and its detail. Nothing was redacted. He chose not to protect anybody, notably, most notably, Monica Lewinsky. And he put out a salacious, enormous report and just dumped it on Congress and the public. And everybody ripped it apart and found extraordinarily terrible things. Also, there was a long debate that you read in the Starr report about whether or not Bill Clinton is essentially a bad person. I mean, it is it is a stunning document. So in an effort to curb that and prevent that from ever happening again, we had people write rules for the next sort of special counsel that said the special counsel will deliver a short report to the attorney general. And then it is up to the attorney general, the attorney general's judgment. And let's all remember who the attorney general works for, the president. It's then up to the president's appointee to decide how much of it to release. So the idea is the special counsel creates a short report of findings, and then the attorney general can kind of add an extra layer of protection to insulate the president by putting out an even shorter report. So Bob Mueller, instead of writing a short report to Bill Barr, he wrote a 400-page-plus appendix report that is filled, again, with stunning detail, really devastating information, and embarrassing items, and then handed it to Bill Barr, who could have given us all a 20-page outline of what he found and instead 
did give us, as promised, a pretty lightly redacted, and I know there are photos on the internet of the few pages that are fully redacted, but if you look at it in total, a pretty lightly redacted report filled with every detail that most American people, whether they're supporters or detractors of the president, would want to see. I want to go to the question about Russia's involvement in this and the collusion idea. I I actually want us to go forward for a minute and think about what this report, what the investigation and what the conclusions tell us about the next time we may see a foreign government try to meddle in our elections. What role do you think the Department of Justice, FBI can or should or will play? We were in an extraordinary circumstance in 2016. I don't think we'd ever before had a political candidate and a team around him that was less savvy about foreign outreach and what that meant. So they were a particularly easy target for the Russians. And you see that again and again throughout the report where Russia is making constant overtures toward different people related to the campaign or working for the campaign. And those folks are not doing what most traditional candidates would do, which is call the FBI and say, hey, something really untoward is happening here. So that is a unique circumstance that I don't know that we would see Mm. again. But in terms of some of the other things that Russia was able to use that you see in this report, social media, uh, you know, America's desire um, in this moment to have extremely heated conversation and debate, the divisions that already existed in the United States long before the 2016 election that were growing out of the financial crisis when you had this enormous schism in society and a huge redistribution of wealth, you know, that seemed to support a shift, a political shift in the country. All of those elements, Russia was able to exploit. That's going to be really difficult Mm -hmm. for us to protect ourselves against in 2020 because all those divisions have only become bigger. Social media has shown us, the largest tech companies have shown us, they don't really have any way to protect Americans, to not only keep our personal information safe, um, to prevent people from manipulating our own accounts, but also from just using their platforms to spread bad information. So we're going to see the exact same set of elements play out in 2020. I think the two key differences, though, will be one, awareness, right? I mean, this document lays out in such great detail what Russia did and how it was able to use our own companies and channels in order to manipulate us. And also, I don't think that we would see a a candidate and a campaign accept those sorts of overtures or sit passively by as they sort of washed over their campaign again. Do you think it made it very clear that if you were a campaign for any office and a foreign government in any way, shape or form comes to you and says, listen, I got some really great stuff for you, that this the conclusion of this report and this entire experience said to those folks, do not do that. Not only is it not right to do it, but you're going to get in big trouble. But now you could actually get in trouble. Yes. And we see this not only in the report, but we see this in some of the ancillary cases that spun out of the report. Mm. So if you think about the people who've actually been charged with crimes that came out of this investigation, one of them is Greg Craig, like a former Obama White House lawyer who is accused of lying about whether or not he knew he was doing work on behalf of the foreign interests of a Ukrainian leader. It's so fascinating to see that happen because I think another thing that's happened in Washington over the last several years, maybe more, is that you've seen enormous amounts of foreign money flood into the city as countries around the world and leaders, good and bad, are trying to get their message out to legislators 
and to people who are pulling the levers of power here in Washington to have more favorable outcomes for themselves, whether it's economic outcomes, whether it's a political outcome. That's what they want. So you also have a city that was primed to accept a certain level of foreign influence in its daily affairs. And I think the Justice Department is also trying to stamp that out at the same time. Do you think they were effective in doing that? Well, I don't know. I mean, we'll see, right? Will will charging somebody like Greg Craig with a crime send a message? Mm. Will it tell people all over K Street, all of these lobbyists who've been getting very, very wealthy off of money from foreign powers all over the world, that maybe they could get in trouble? Because, you know, if, if it works, that's one thing. But if people think of Greg Craig as a one-off, I don't think you're going to see that business go away. The attorney general said he would like to investigate this investigation. Do you have any idea what that would look like? This investigation has already been investigated to some extent. We had uh, the inspector general's report that came out last year about conduct within the FBI that led to this investigation, particularly around James Comey. Um, You had an investigation of uh, the deputy director of the FBI who worked for James Comey, Andrew McCabe. We have an ongoing another inspector general investigation about the FISA process and FISA warrants. Uh, The FISA process is the process by which the Justice Department is allowed to get a warrant so that it can uh, survey uh, another person. Um, They go through the FISA court system. So we have two completed and one ongoing investigation already around matters related to the Mueller inquiry. So I think that one of the things that Bill Barr told lawmakers is he's going to take a look at the investigations that have happened, The one that's ongoing now, the IG's investigation, which he thinks could wrap in May or June, but who knows. And there are a couple of other outstanding investigations. There's some congressional investigations. And then I think there's another one out in Utah, the U.S. Attorney's Office in Utah, who's doing sort of a broader look at the roots of the Mueller inquiry. And he will line all these things up and then say, okay, what questions remain unanswered? So at first, he's just going to be doing a lot of information gathering. But I do think we need to think about the impact that investigating the roots of the Mueller report could even have. Hmm. I mean, even if there is a world in which, and this is completely hypothetical, but even if there's a world in which the FBI managed to to survey, or as Bill Barr would say, spy on Carter Page, and it was unlawful for some reason, there was a technical glitch, there was, a, there was bias, you name it. Do you think that that, would negate the 400 pages that Robert Mueller has given us that detail not only, you know, stunning actions by the president and an extraordinary look at the way that Russia did undermine our election in order to favor Donald Trump, but also showed that the White House was in complete disarray, that people could not be truthful with one another, that they were lying to one another, to the public, to the president, sometimes all on the same day. It's hard for me to believe that even if there was a finding that somebody was wiretapped in a way that was unwarranted, that it would have anything to do to lessen the impact here for people who have read the report and people who take seriously the findings, because it feels like that is the sort of piece of information that is is designed to fuel the president's supporters who already believe that this has happened. The House Democrats would uh, have asked for the attorney general to come and testify before Congress. Do you think there's anything that the attorney general can tell Congress that would be new? 
I mean, I think that when he goes before Congress, they're going to be really curious about, they're going to be very curious about the large gap between his representation of the report and what was in the report. They're going to question him on his own credibility. They're going to want to know more about this belief that he has in the power of the presidency, a belief that you know, Bill Barr is an establishment Republican in many ways, a belief that made a lot more sense when there was an establishment Republican in office. But we now have a president, as you can see from this report, who does not believe in presidential norms and barely believes in staying within the four corners of a law. And so how does that belief that Bill Barr has in sort of an unfettered power for the person in the Oval Office, you know, interact with having a person in the Oval Office who actually doesn't believe in being constrained at all. You know, it's so they're going to be very curious about these dynamics. And I don't know how forthcoming he'll be, but those would be the good questions to ask. I think if they want to know more about the report itself, the person to go to is probably Robert Mueller. Katie Benner, thank you so much for coming in and breaking this all down for us. Thank you. Mueller decided not to bring criminal charges against the president. But did he set the stage for further investigations by Congress? Here's one indicator of where those investigations might be headed. On Thursday, Majority Leader Steny Hoyer told CNN's Dana Bash that, quote, based on what we have seen to date going forward, impeachment is not worthwhile at this point. Very frankly, there's an election in 18 months and the American people will make a judgment. I asked Nick Fandos, a congressional reporter at The New York Times, whether he thinks that's indicative of where Democrats are right now, that impeachment is indeed off the table. So there's a, a lot to unpack in that comment. And Steny Hoyer later put out a tweet kind of walking himself back a little bit and saying everything is on the table, actually. But I think it does reflect where at least the Democratic leadership is. They basically set themselves a pretty high bar early on here and said, if we're going to go forward with an impeachment, the evidence needs to be overwhelming and we need to be able to garner bipartisan support. I think given the way that the attorney general handed this, given the way that Republicans have reacted, I think they're probably looking around today and having a hard time finding where that Republican support might be for an action that extreme. And the fear, I think, is is looking back at the Clinton impeachment and thinking, you know, if we shoot the moon and miss, this could backfire and actually hurt us in 2020. And then we'll end up in a worse situation than we are right now, maybe. But are you seeing from other Democrats who aren't in the leadership an impatience with this strategy? I, I was reading Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's Twitter stream last night. She says, I take no pleasure in discussions of impeachment. I didn't campaign on it and rarely discuss it unprompted. We prefer working on our priorities. She talks about legislative priorities, but the report puts this on our doorstep. Yeah, I think this is where leadership benefits from everybody being out of town. They're going to get a little bit of time to catch their breath. But I think when Congress is back in a couple of weeks, there are a number of liberal Democrats. I don't know how large that number is yet, but some of them are quite vocal who say, essentially, you know, looking at all of this evidence, knowing what we know about the president, we would be neglecting our role as a branch of, of government. We would be neglecting our values if we didn't go forward with this. And Maxine Waters, the chairwoman of the Financial Services Committee, put out a long statement yesterday saying essentially, if we don't take up impeachment, Congress is abdicating its duty and letting the executive branch run roughshod with behavior that we certainly don't approve of. So, you know, Pelosi and and her allies are going to have to grapple with that argument, too. And it is a persuasive one, because I think even even Democratic leaders believe at this point that, you know, what the president has done is gone well beyond constitutional norms and is 
behavior that threatens the separation of powers. On the other side of the Capitol, we had heard before this report came out from people like Senator Lindsey Graham that they want to investigate the investigators, that they're going to open lines of inquiry into how this process of the Russia investigation even began. Is this what you expect to see? We'll basically have dueling inquiries and hearings, the Republicans on the Senate side and Democrats on the House side? Yeah, I think that's very likely. I mean, I I think it's worth remembering that that won't necessarily be new. Before Lindsey Graham took this up, before Democrats took control of the House and were able to launch all of their own investigations, House Republicans for more than a year very aggressively investigated the people investigating President Trump and in fact turned up a lot of new information. I mean a lot of the a lot of the leads that the Attorney General and Lindsey Graham are now following have been out there because of House Republicans. Mm-hmm. And so as I sit back, you know, it's it's been almost two years we've been waiting for this report. It could easily be another year beyond that we continue to fight over many of these details and there's kind of parallel Republican and Democratic tracks. Was there anything in this report that is potentially going to set off a new round of inquiries or investigations for House Democrats and oversight? Well, we'll have to see about new targets. The Democrats had already set up several kind of yawning, broad investigations with the intention of incorporating anything they find here into it. So they already have an investigation into Russian election interference going. They have an investigation into other foreign influence over President Trump, into obstruction of justice, abuse of power. I think we'll see things incorporated there. Obviously, there's a lot of interest in the section of this report that says Mr. Mueller and his team referred out 14 different matters or cases to other Mm -hmm. jurisdictions. We only know about a couple of those. We'll see if we find out more from the Justice Department as time goes by, but that could also potentially produce additional material for Congress. And the House Speaker, Nancy Pelosi, is overseas at this moment in time. Um, She is organizing a call for Monday to kind of get everybody lined up. On the same page, page, see where her caucus is. Do you have any idea what that call is going to look like and what things she is going to be addressing? So a call like that will generally have the speaker and then some kind of handpicked leader. So in this case, I would imagine folks like Adam Schiff, the chairman of the Intelligence Committee, Jerry Nadler, chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Hakeem Jeffries, the chairman of the caucus, often gets on the phone. They kind of offer the party line. They offer their own analysis. It's somewhat uh, meant to be informative to members. But then usually, you know, your rank and file members, one of the 240 House Democrats will get to weigh in, and that discussion could turn any which way. But I think the general purpose is with House Democrats scattered all over the country with their, you know, about to go offline for holidays like Passover and Easter, it's basically just a chance for them to figure out, hey, what's going on? What are you thinking about this? What should I be thinking about this? Well, it was interesting. I uh, was reading something Sam Stein of the Daily Beast wrote. House Democrats have said for months they wanted to wait for Mueller before weighing in on impeachment. Now that Mueller is here, they're begging for more time. In other words, they've had a lot of time to prepare for this. Why is it that they seem so disorganized? It's not like this was a surprise. I would suggest that they are not disorganized, but realize they don't have a lot of good options, at least politically. I think what they're afraid of, we've been talking about before, which is proceeding in a partisan way that could inure to the president's benefit. And 
they don't have a lot of great examples here. Um, you basically have Nixon and you have Clinton, and they say Clinton is definitely not how we want to go. And in the case of Nixon, Republicans came on board with Democrats at the last minute and, and helped force him from office. I don't think Democrats see that happening this time. And so they basically feel that they're um, stuck with some awkward options. But, you know, I agree. I, I think that this report and the expectations they have set for themselves mean that they're going to have to make this choice, uh, you know, once and for all, sooner than later and probably sooner than they would have liked. Nick Fandos, thanks so much for coming and joining me. Thank you for having me. Okay, so it's one thing to talk to reporters about what Congress can and should do in response to the release of the report, but let's ask a representative. Hi, I'm Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy. Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy is the Democratic representative from Illinois' 8th Congressional District, which, by the way, is next door to the district I grew up in. Anyway, he also serves on two key congressional committees with their own investigations into President Donald Trump, the Committee on Oversight and Reform, and the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. And I put what Majority Leader Steny Hoyer said, that impeachment is not worthwhile and Americans will make their own judgment during the election, to Congressman Krishnamoorthy. Here's what he had to say. Well, I, I, I think that we need to take some next steps uh, before we can actually answer the question comprehensively. I think that the next step is we have to bring Bob Mueller before the House Intelligence Committee, among others. I know that Bill Barr is coming to Congress. I have some very pointed questions for Mr. Mueller, and uh, I think that in part is going to inform what we do from here. Will Mr. Mueller be able to testify publicly, or does this need to be behind closed doors? I think he should testify publicly. I think Chairman Schiff has asked him to come before the Intelligence Committee. I think that he can testify on pretty much everything that has not been redacted in the report publicly. And then uh, with regard to classified or sensitive information, perhaps that has to be done in a private setting. But uh, I absolutely want the American people to have the opportunity to see Mr. Mueller talk about the report publicly. And what would you ask him? Gosh, um, I have a lot of questions. Uh, you know, for one thing, uh, you know, the glossary to this report reads like the Russian phone book. It's true that he did not find criminal conspiracy with regard to Trump administration officials or Trump campaign officials and the Russians. But from a counterintelligence standpoint, I would ask him, what are the most serious ties or relationships or transactions that might form the basis for uh, the Russians trying to use it as a basis for leverage or compromise or trying to basically use it as compromat, uh, which is the term they use for embarrassing information that that could be used to extort information from people here. That's one big question I have. A second question I have is uh, with regard to his conclusion on page one of his report, which is that the Russians interfered in, quote unquote, a sweeping and systematic fashion in our elections. What should we do about it at this point? What, in his opinion, we are not doing that we should be doing? So those are just a couple questions. That is an, an excellent point about what should we be doing and what have we been doing? And by we, I'm looking specifically at, at Congress. Do you think that Congress has addressed many of the things that we already knew, but were that were reiterated in this report about the ability for a foreign government to have an influence in this election and elections to come? Partly, yes, but I, I fear the 
government hasn't taken enough steps here to assist local election authorities in protecting uh, their election infrastructure from further meddling. I'll just give you an example. Um, It's true that we appropriated $400 million in the last Congress, but the need appears to be greater. And uh, because local election authorities really control our elections here um, uh, and, and, and they are resource strapped, I'm concerned that what happened here in Illinois is going to happen again, namely the hacking of our voter database where tens of thousands of records were apparently uh, exfiltrated and the Russians looked at thousands of them and the personal data associated with them. There's no evidence that they actually uh, changed the outcome of the elections here in Illinois, but um, you don't know what they're going to do in the 2020 elections and that's why we have to take action. Stick around. We'll have more of my conversation with Democratic Congressman Raja Krishnamoorthy in just a minute. It's the Takeaway Podcast. Putin would like to see the liberal world order fall apart. People of color have always understood that the American dream was a fantasy and an ideal. There is a crisis of institutional decay in our country. The risk of sea level rise is going to sink us before the seas ever do. Us as men, we have to start doing our work. May your rage be a force for good. For a daily podcast that breaks through the noise, subscribe to The Takeaway wherever you get your podcasts. Back now with Illinois Congressman Raja Krishnamoorthy. In early March, I asked him about what his constituents were saying about the Mueller investigation and whether or not he was hearing calls for impeachment. Speaking to him today, back home in his suburban Chicago district, I asked again. I think, quite frankly, people are still trying to process this 448-page report. It is very dense, as you know. I did encourage everybody that I talked to to just look at the report themselves, uh, at Mm -hmm. least the executive summaries. And then they can do a deep dive on sections that interest them. I I really do think that people are trying to process all the information and they're listening to different, you know, summaries and and recaps from folks like yourself. So we'll we'll find out uh, how they want to proceed. The one thing I would say is that I do think everyone wants to hear from Mueller himself. That seems to be a universal sentiment that I'm hearing. And uh, that makes total sense to me. Do you expect that he will be on Capitol Hill at some point? Yes, I do. I think that um, he will uh, likely appear um, at least before the House Intelligence Committee, given mm. the serious counterintelligence questions that have arisen from his report. You know, just another example of, of why people will want to talk to him is there were, in one of the appendices, um, he said that there were 14 cases referred to outside Uh, prosecutors. But 11 of those cases are completely blacked out. And we have no idea what, who's the target, what's the subject matter, um, what's going on. If you recall, in the hearings, I asked uh, Michael Cohen, you know, what other wrongdoing is there that he hasn't talked about in this hearing? And he said that he's been uh, told not to talk by the Southern District of New York, which is apparently investigating various matters spinning off from the the Mueller investigation. So what what are those proceedings about? Can he tell you all this? Or is this the sort of thing it's redacted for a reason? And he's not going to be able to tell you, especially in a public hearing, what other investigations are going on? Yeah, I think I think that might have to be done in a a private setting. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense. Uh, You know, he may not want to discuss it in a public setting, because it could 
harm the ongoing uh, investigations. And what do you think the relationship with your Republican colleagues on the Intelligence Committee will be like during this hearing with Mueller? What are your expectations for how and what they will be asking and, and, and acting? Well, I, I, I can guess that their first question will be, so there's no collusion and uh, there's no obstruction, right? And I think that's how the first question will go. And based on what I read in the report, I think that uh, Special Counsel Mueller will likely say, well, collusion was not even a, uh, a subject of my investigation because there's no such thing in the criminal code. But with regard to criminal conspiracy and coordination, here's what I found. And like I said, there's a lot of evidence of it. And I think he actually makes a statement somewhere in there that uh, there's evidence of it, even if, or there may be evidence of it, even if we don't establish that criminal conspiracy occurred. So that's what I think they're going to be focused on. If they just keep asking the question about collusion, it's going to be a long, <laughs> long process uh, with regard to uh, next steps. The one place where I think we should have, I hope, bipartisan support is actually trying to um, deal with the uh, 2020 elections. And I, I hope that they agree that what the Russians did in 2016 is pretty serious and needs to be addressed in a bipartisan way. Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy, thank you so much for coming on and talking with me. Absolutely, Amy. Thank you. The saga of the Mueller report continues, and not just in Congress. It will also most likely be a talking point on the 2020 campaign trail, at least for President Trump, that is. To get a conservative perspective on the Mueller report, I talked with Noah Rothman, a political commentator and editor at Commentary. I think it'll probably be a permanent fixture. What we've seen now from the response from Democratic partisans and even members of Congress is a demand to pursue some sort of constitutional remedy for the notion that Donald Trump attempted to obstruct justice, up to and including impeachment. Now, we know the House Democrats don't want to do this. At least Nancy Pelosi and leadership don't want to do this. But the demand itself will create some sort of a groundswell for something to happen there. And we're entering into a presidential cycle. So there will be an incentive for a 2020 Democrat to say, look, House Democrats don't have the spine here. They're letting Donald Trump off the hook. And that's going to be a powerful message. I don't think a 2020 Democrat will be able to resist capturing that issue. In 2018, that was also a theory that Democratic candidates were going to make President Trump, the Russia investigation, potential impeachment, a centerpiece of their campaigns. They didn't talk about it at all. 2020, Democrats have been out on the trail for some time now, Democratic presidential candidates. They're not talking about impeachment either. My take from all of this is that the groundswell energy among Democrats and the split among Democrats is actually over the policies within the Democratic Party, Green New Deal, Medicare for all, more so than be tougher on the president and go full on impeachment. Yeah, I I think you've seen a lot of that from a very prudent wing of the Democratic Party's 2020 cadre. But you've also heard a lot of fight. The word fight has been used quite frequently. Policy is important, obviously, to the Democratic Party, but impeachment is also policy. Donald Trump's rise within the GOP within 2016 was the result of policy, but also tone. 
and the fact that a tone that was not being fulfilled by the party's candidates, but it was really evident in the party's grassroots and in their media, and it was just not reflected in the 2016 lineup, and somebody captured that gap. I, I feel like there's definitely room for a Democrat to do that. If they don't do that, uh, it's a spectacular display of uh, willpower. Uh, I'm not sure that they'll be able to resist. So that's your point, is that while the quote-unquote elites, whether it's members of Congress, the sort of inside-the-beltway types, while they aren't focused on jumping on the impeachment train, your argument is the grassroots, they are going to be attracted to somebody who says, no, 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 this report is not an exoneration. We need to have not only more investigations, but ultimately he must be removed from office. I don't know about removed from office, but you've also seen, uh, at least Jerry Nadler, say that there needs to be some sort of uh, more investigation into this process because the Mueller probe did not exculpate, did not exonerate the president. And if if Nancy Pelosi was in control of the conversation, we wouldn't be talking about the Green New Deal. We'd be talking about H.R. 1. That's mm-hmm. what they wanted to talk about. Nancy Pelosi lost control of the legislative conversation early on in this process as a result of these, what she dismissively refers to as these five freshmen who have somehow managed to end run around her capacity to manage the conversation around, around their legislative priorities. Uh, so I, I don't have a whole lot of faith in the leadership's ability to keep their grassroots at bay. They seem to be leading the conversation. Let's talk about what you think is going to happen on the Republican side. We've also heard from a number of Republicans for some time that it is time to investigate the investigators, that uh, Congress needs to get to the bottom of how this Russia probe started in the first place. And then the Trump campaign itself, Brad Parscale, who is the campaign manager, sent out a statement saying, the tables have turned. It's time to investigate the liars who instigated the sham investigation into President Trump. Conspiracy theories have been exposed for the hoaxes they always were. Obama era DOJ and FBI must answer for their misdeeds. Do you think that Republicans in the Senate are going to take up investigations like Parscale and the Trump campaign suggested? They might. I mean, William Barr's uh, Department of Justice is going to investigate the genesis of this investigation. And I don't think that's especially unfounded, in part because I don't think there was anything untoward here. It would be something kind of cosmic and poetic justice if at the end of the day we find out that not only was there no collusion, but there was nothing untoward or nefarious as a result of the investigation's uh, origins, and that basically nothing happened in 2016 that that has so consumed us. Um, but that is what I suspect, honestly, uh, you know, without prejudging the results of this investigation, that's probably the most likely outcome. And while partisans on either side of the aisle are going to be loath to accept that conclusion, uh, the general public, I think, will and will be happy to be rid of the 2016 election once and for all. Well, that's what I'm wondering is, would it actually be a bad idea for Republicans, for the president to continue to bring up the investigation? Why not just say, let's move on. And if there is an investigation within the DOJ, that's fine. But we should be talking about other things right now. It does not do Republicans much good either to be talking about this. It doesn't do Republicans much good, but it does the president a lot of good. The president's movement 
is one that is premised on the notion that it is discriminated against, victimized, looked down upon, and uh, subject to hostile actions by elites, ill-described, ubiquitous, omniscient elites. Uh, and the notion that Donald Trump was a victim of some sort of a cabal to delegitimize his election before he was even elected fits very well with that narrative. The president likes that narrative. He doesn't really like to run on his accomplishments. He doesn't dwell on them. He dwells on how poorly he's being treated by this or the other institution. And I think Donald Trump's movement responds to that. Now, the size of that movement is a subject for debate. It may not necessarily be enough to carry a general election, but it is the one that he is most responsive to. He's demonstrated it time and time again. So I think he wants to keep this issue very much alive. So we should expect to hear basically throughout the next year and a half, witch hunt and hoaxes and all of those uh, sort of pejoratives that the president has used about this for the foreseeable future. Yeah, into 2020. Maybe somebody is going to focus group this thing and find out that it doesn't resonate with the general electorate. And perhaps the president can be convinced to abandon it on the stump. But I highly doubt it. I think this is going to be with us for the remainder of the of this presidency. Noah Rothman, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you so much for having me. Noah Rothman is an associate editor at Commentary and the author of Unjust, Social Justice and the Unmaking of America. Actually, people have gone out and done that field research Noah just mentioned, and I talked to one of them. Carrie Dan, I'm a political editor for NBC News. We were actually in the field. The NBC News Wall Street Journal poll was in the field when the bar summary of the Mueller report came out. And so we very quickly switched gears and started asking voters um, about what they had heard about it, what they thought about it. And we kind of got this very ambiguous response from voters. They weren't that engaged with the story. And most people kind of gave a, a shrug. There were a third of Americans who said, I don't even know what this means. Partisans have long since retreated into their corners. The major vast majority of Democrats say he's guilty. And I think very little is going to change that. Uh, the vast majority of Republicans say the opposite. And a lot of independents, a plurality of independents say, I just don't know. And it's hard to imagine that changing and hard to imagine, except for the partisans who are in either corner. Yeah, I think that public opinion has been ambiguous on this for a long time. And I, it's hard to imagine a scenario in which that changes. Are they ambiguous about it because they don't understand it or because they don't think it's important or they just have tuned it out because it seems like something that doesn't concern them? A part of it seems that a lot of voters just aren't that engaged with that story, mm. the story. They're, they're aware that it's happening. They see the coverage. But not that many people say that they've seen and experienced a lot of the coverage. When you look inside of those numbers, it's far less. Like, for example, when the bar letter was released, far fewer voters said that they were had heard a lot about that story and were engaged with it than something, for example, like the Access Hollywood tape or even the firing of James Comey. Uh, and even those fail, pale in comparison to, uh, you know, a mass shooting or one of those big events that captivates the nation. So as much coverage as there has been of the ins and outs of the Mueller report, voters generally tend to say, I'm just not that engaged with that story because they've either decided what how they feel about it mm -hmm. or it's a bit of it, it turns into noise because there's been such a plotting day after day after day, drip, 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 that those you know, it, it takes a, an investment of time for a lot of voters to sift through it. And a lot of people just say, 
I don't have time for that. And it doesn't seem that important to me to, to be worth the attention. The percentage of people who say they have doubts about Donald Trump's presidency has decreased pretty significantly in the wake of the Barr letter. Can you talk about that? We definitely did see that. The, the percentage of people said that they had doubts about the presidency decreased after the Barr letter. Uh, d- doubts about the presidency as regards the Russia investigation. Mm-hmm. Inside those numbers, though, because that was a number that initially really stuck out to me. And we asked our pollsters about that. And what they found was inside of those numbers, most of those people were Democrats saying, OK, I have fewer doubts about the presidency as relates to the Russia investigation. But what we didn't see was a corresponding increase in Trump's approval rating with Democrats or basically any other top line numbers. Democrats still wildly dislike the president. Uh, They are motivated to vote against him. Uh, They don't like pretty much anything about his policies or about his attitude towards the presidency. And those negative feelings persist. Do you think that given these numbers that Democrats in Congress risk being seen as going overboard or overplaying their hand if they continue to dig into this report and and raise more questions, more investigations. We have seen uh, in other polling when voters have been asked that question, do you want uh, Democrats to continue investigating this issue? You do see a majority of Americans saying, no, let's move on to something else. Um, It's it's not an overwhelming majority, um, but it's somewhere around six and ten who say we need to move on to the next thing. Um, so I think Democrats do run that risk uh, of focusing too much on these investigations. The big lesson for me from 2018, uh, from the midterms, was that voters really care about issues like health care. That was the number one motivating issue for people who went to go vote in the midterms for Democrats. And I do think that Democrats could run the risk of overplaying their hand on Mueller at the risk of neglecting this issue that so many voters were so animated by and are still waiting for results. Uh, The headlines Mm -hmm. being continually about Democrats investigating uh, might not be as productive for them as a series of headlines about what they're doing to fix ACA. Is there anything else about trends you have noticed really since the investigation began until now about voters' perceptions of the president or the investigation or the people around the investigation? We have seen that generally there has been a net positive approval for Robert Mueller. Um, But then again, there's also a lot of voters who don't have an opinion or don't know who he is. Um, And there has been a majority of folks who say that they find the investigation credible, especially early on uh, in the investigation, as much as the president was tweeting and talking about how he didn't think that the, you know, that it was a witch hunt. The majority of voters still said that they found Mueller to be credible. Um, That's, uh, you know, has ended up uh, in the wake of the bar summary to be something that perhaps the president was was happy about that it seemed to have an air of legitimacy. But that was one trend that I that I did notice throughout is the president was not that able to take a bite out of Robert Mueller's credibility by talking about the quote witch hunt um, throughout and. Most of those voters who are, who are seeing it, I don't think are really questioning the investigation itself as much as those questioning the motivations behind the investigation was this political. And opinions of Mueller have increased a great deal among Republicans since the Barr letter was released, right? There's nothing that can boost somebody's public approval like saying something that you think is positive for your political party. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of uh, Republicans, I suspect, 
made Robert Mueller more of a hero after that uh, bar summary than they previously might have believed. But you're right. There was a, a boost right after the bar letter, even among Republicans. And, uh, you know, Democrats, maybe even a little bit of a dip in uh among those who had pinned their hopes on Mueller having this slam dunk, he colluded with Russia, he's on his way out conclusion, which I don't think most people thought was going to happen. But there there were those in the progressive movement who were hoping for a silver bullet. Carrie Dan, thank you so much for coming in and breaking it all down for us. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. We asked you for your reactions. Hi, this is Jean Barrett calling from Seattle, Washington. Listening to Attorney General Barr, the impression I had was that he was the president's personal defense attorney rather than our nation's attorney general. Hi, this is Judy out in uh, rural Virginia. Good luck finding anyone who has changed their mind about President Trump since the Mueller report came out. I just don't see any movement in my neck of the woods. People are where they were after the election and continue to be there. My name is Laura Kennedy. I'm calling from Foster, Rhode Island. I'm sorry, I just don't care anymore. Trump and his people will twist it to their advantage. My take on the Mueller report is this has been a witch hunt. It's some very expensive toilet paper. My name is Bernard Hess, Denver, Colorado. We always love hearing from you. Thanks for calling in. Keep it coming. All right, here's my take. The release of an exhaustive report leads to even more exhaustive political debate in the halls of Congress, on the campaign trail, on social media. Now, there's nothing particularly new about this. After all, the Star Report is still being debated 20 years later. But the bigger issue is the toll that this constant cycle of investigations and recriminations are taking on the faith of the institutions designed to help keep the ship of state on even keel. If no one trusts the process, the people in charge of it, or the outcomes, we're left hopelessly and dangerously adrift. Nature and politics abhor a vacuum. And we should all be very, very worried about what would fill it. That's all for us today. Thanks so much for listening. This is Politics with Amy Walter on The Takeaway.